When the votes got counted from this month's election, Joe Biden carried the state of Michigan by more than 150,000 votes. But that hasn't stopped President Trump and his allies from trying to figure out a way, somehow, to swing the state's 16 electoral votes into his column. On Friday, the president invited the GOP leaders of the Michigan legislature to the White House as part of an apparent effort to subvert the will of the people and, by legislative fiat, direct that pro-Trump electors be selected for the Electoral College. Those leaders after the meeting gave little sign they were prepared to do so, saying in a statement they had not seen, quote, any information that would change the outcome of the election. Still, the mere fact that President Trump, in his last two months in office, would try to toss the results of an American election has created what many view as a national scandal, made even worse by the fact that very few Republicans have been willing to call him out for what he has been trying to do. Today, we'll talk to two who are more than willing to do so, former Michigan Republican Governor Rick Snyder and former Republican National Committee Communications Director Doug High. They'll give their takes on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So there are basically two ways to look at this. One is that what Trump and his lawyers have been somehow trying to figure out a way to do, and that is to get the state legislatures Republican-controlled in key states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, to step in, override the votes of the people, and uh, select these pro-Trump electors, that there's just basically no way that this can ever succeed. Legally, politically, it just seems unsustainable. On the other hand, the very idea that it's in the mix, that the president is talking about it, and that millions of his followers are going to believe this is a legitimate course of action is, you know, as about as anti-democratic as you can get. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking um, these two Republican uh, legislative leaders from Michigan flew to Washington early this morning, summoned to the White House to meet with the president, presumably to talk about how they could overturn the will of the people in, in, in Michigan. They left this evening or this afternoon as we record this podcast on Friday. And, and the statement that they put out was, that they were going to follow the normal process, which is, you know, on the one hand, I guess seems sort of reassuring because we have not followed the normal process for four years. And so I guess the way I look at it is I hope that this is a an omen of good things to come, that we will be following the normal process from here on out. But we'll have to see what happens. Well, the, um, the, And there know, are look, two the more problem months. Is, it, it's really... 
you know, Trump's only play. He's not getting anywhere in the courts. Virtually all of his lawsuits so far have been tossed. There's really no prospect that they can develop a case that's going to go to the Supreme Court at this point, which is what I think Trump originally thought somehow, you know, having stacked the court with his three appointees, that they would bail him out and give him the election. But you got to have a case to take to the court and you got to have a plausible argument to make that yeah. the Supreme Court would accept. They haven't even gotten, you know, past, right. the, you know, any court in any of the states, much less to the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know what? You, you you said something that I think, you know, bears exploring a little bit, which is that I, I can't remember now how many lawsuits they filed. But the last I saw, they were like, you know, 20, you know, they were like one out of 20. And some of the judges who tossed out their lawsuits were federal judges appointed by Donald J. Trump. And that also, I think, ought to give us some measure of reassurance. And it, and it, and it also says something about the wisdom of the, our founding fathers who, who made sure that these federal judgeships would be for you know, life tenure, because I think judges feel somewhat insulated from the pressures that, that Donald Trump tries to bring on people who, who he appointed. And so, you know, I, I think all of these things suggest that as crazy as things have been over the last four years, there still are institutions in place that are you kind know, of bulwarks to protect our democracy. I agree with you that going for, you know, that all of this is destructive. It is damaging. And Donald Trump is going to be a presence. He's going to be like, you know, have a government in exile because 73 million Americans voted for him. So he's not going away. He's still going to be able to hold sway over this Republican Party. And by the way, we did talk to a couple of Republicans who were standing up to Donald Trump, but they are uh, lonely voices in the Republican wilderness. Well, we've got two of them on this show. So that's, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah. You know, you can, you can count the number of Republicans who are willing to speak up on, you know, I think at this point, 10% the fingers of them are on, on Skullduggery on, tonight. On two hands. Yeah. But a good <laughs> chunk of them are on Skullduggery. A couple of other points I think it's worth ma- mentioning. I don't know if you watched that bizarro press conference that Rudy Giuliani gave on Thursday at the headquarters of the RNC in which he made all these like outlandish charges led by, you know, uh, Sidney Powell, the lawyer for Michael Flynn, who's now representing the president, who, you know, took things into like the stratosphere with, you know, the software company that's controlled by the Venezuelans and the Chinese. And George and, Soros. Yeah, and wait and a George second. Soros. Wait, wait, was the Queen votes. of England, was the Queen of Queen of England involved in this too? Because I've been watching. <laughs> no, no. I've need, been watching we the need Crown. We La Rouche for that. <laughs> we, you know, in order to get the Queen of England. Involved. I was hoping this might be an episode in the Crown. Yeah, I, it's. I've been watching it. It's fantastic. Yes, yes. But anyway, you distract me, Clydeman. So even Tucker Carlson couldn't accept what Sidney Powell was saying because he asked for some evidence. He asked her for the evidence uh, yesterday for what she's talking about. You know, what is your evidence that this Dominion uh, software company that is apparently used in many of the states is somehow controlled uh, or was created by communists in Venezuela for the sole purpose of flipping votes? And she didn't respond. 
And apparently she she was quoted just today in one of these pro-Trump websites, uh, Epic Times, as saying she will uh, provide the evidence that she was talking about in the next two weeks. Well, look at li- listen, think about this for a moment. Here you have the president's legal team throwing out the most outlandish charges, essentially suggesting, accusing the election of having been controlled by foreign adversaries who were using software they somehow infiltrated into the American electoral system. This is one of the president's lawyers, and she isn't prepared to back it up with any evidence. I mean, you know, so you just throw out the charge, but you don't back it up. You know, I I don't think that they actually made these same allegations when they went into courtrooms in bringing these these lawsuits. So they seem to have a a uh, kind of a dual strategy. On the one hand, they say in court in you know in these court cases a bunch of bullshit that they can actually get away with. And then publicly they they say all these other things way more outrageous that they couldn't bring in a court of law. So, I mean, the whole thing is, is you know, if it weren't so ultimately dangerous because, because of the impact that it has on their followers, it would be laughable, it would be surreal, it would be a joke. But it's not a joke at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, no, but look, and there's nothing really laughable about this. But we should uh, just, uh, before we get to our guests, who have a lot of really interesting things to say, we should take note of the COVID fiasco and how the numbers keep getting worse. I think there are indications we could be reaching 200,000 cases a day very soon if we haven't already done so. And uh, the news that now that Donald Trump Jr. has tested positive, so the president, his son, his chief of staff, Andrew Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani's son. Yes, Andrew Giuliani, who's on the White House staff, the son of Rudy. And as a result, when the president had a meeting with his legal team at the White House on Friday, Rudy couldn't go. He had to call in. He had to call in because his son has been exposed. And um, there are some who may find poetic justice in all this. We will not go that far, but it is worth noting that every front, um, this White House does seem to be in disarray. In any case, we've got these two good guests, so um, let's get to it. We now have with us the former Republican governor of Michigan, Rick Snyder. Governor, welcome to Skullduggery. It's great to be with you guys. Lots of material to cover these days for you. I know you must be staying busy. (laughs) Yes, there is. So look, your state is uh, in the middle of this election controversy. And as we speak, uh, the president has invited two of your Republican leaders in the Michigan legislature to the White House. He apparently, the president, does not want to accept the results of the election in Michigan and appears to want the legislature to step in and award the electors to Donald Trump. Your reaction to that? 
Yeah, well, the, the concept of the president asking someone to that is extremely troubling. I mean, that's interfering with the, the democracy, in my view, and that's a terrible thing. Um, with respect to asking the legislative leaders to come meet with him, at this point, I wouldn't be critical of the legislative leaders. I mean, if you step back and look at it, and many people have strong feelings when they first hear this, but if the president of the United States calls you up and says he wants to meet with you, it's pretty hard to say you're not going to go meet with him. It's really their actions coming out of them is how they should be defined. Again, they both had gone on the record to say that they didn't see any reason there would be any change from the normal process taking place in Michigan. They're both on the record for that. I would hope they would reiterate that to the president and just say, you know, that's the way it works in Michigan and there's nothing to talk about if he asks for something inappropriate. Do you see any evidence of fraud or improper handling of the ballots that would in any way raise questions about the results of the election in Michigan? No, I have not. And I don't know anyone who has. If you looked at it, all the 83 counties in Michigan are now certified. Biden won by a fairly large margin. Actually, Republicans did well in Michigan other than the presidential race. So if you look at it, there's no indications. In fact, I believe some of the results, even in Wayne County or the Detroit area, which is the area that many people are talking about, actually they had better results in terms of having their precincts match up on their numbers than they had four years ago. So if anything, I think this is a good solid election taking place in Michigan. And I would expect the Board of Canvassers on Monday to vote to certify the results. That's what they should do. So that's the state Board of Canvassers. And I want to get to that in a second. But we did have this episode this week where the two Republican members of the canvassing board for Wayne County, which includes Detroit, first said they would not vote to certify the election. Then they did. Then they said they came under pressure and tried to recant it. Then there's also the suggestion that Donald Trump may have talked to at least one of them and possibly put pressure on them to say that they would not uh, vote to certify. What did you make of all of that? Yeah, well, in the end, it got certified. I think that's the important legal point. What's troubling through all this is the president's behavior and the, the people on his legal team and his team. I mean, they're actually undermining democracy with their actions. Again, if you have a valid issue, you should go to court, you present evidence, and you let the court decide. All this other stuff is very damaging today. Actually, I'm concerned about the damage that's going to go on for the next several years in terms of misinformation, you know, creating doubts in the minds of his supporters, things like that. That's what's really troubling about this is I expect the process to work. I expect President-elect Biden to become the next president through a legal process that we're on today. Um, if you look at it, there hadn't been a court in the country, to my knowledge, that has found any merit to any of the claims made. Let's get this thing over with. But there's a lot of damage. President Trump has done terrible things. I mean, this man is the divider in chief in our nation. And it's an awful outcome in terms of his behavior. We should point out that even though you're a two-term Republican governor of your state, you actually endorsed Joe Biden in this election. Why did you do that? Well, it's easy. I'm an American first. And it's in the best interest of America to have someone who's going to try to heal our country. Donald Trump has been the divider in chief. The incivility in our country has reached a record level. I didn't think it could get worse. Actually, post-election is showing it can go even lower with his current behavior. This is awful. 
And we need somebody to bring us back together. And Joe Biden, I believe, can do that. For the people that said they voted for Trump, even on a policy basis, I'm a nerd. I'm a proud nerd. So I'm into policy. <laughs> I don't think his policies were particularly that good. He had a few reasonable things that he did that were good. But beyond that, many of his steps really weren't that thoughtful nor good. Um, and so I think it's time for new leadership in our country. So not only did I not want to vote for Trump, I found good reasons to vote for Biden and it showed up. And I'm glad to see that he won Michigan. So you've targeted all of your criticism in this interview at, at Donald Trump. But what about the rest of your party? I assume you're, you're still a Republican? I'm still a Republican, although a lot of Republicans like to have other commentary on me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me give you an example. We have a, a reporter who works for us at Yahoo News, John Ward. Over the last week, I think four times, he has emailed the comms directors of every Republican senator. Uh, that's 53 senators. And only two of them got back and said yes and acknowledged that there was not significant fraud in this election and were willing to criticize uh, Donald Trump for how he's handled this transition and his efforts to subvert, apparently subvert the election. Just two out of 53. What do you make of that? What do you make of, of people in your party who have not been willing to do what you're doing on this podcast right now? Yeah, and I wish there were more. I really do. And I would have expected more. But as a practical mayor, I want to also be cautious because these are good people. These Many of these people have been public servants for years. And to be blunt, Donald Trump is a bully. I mean, I've been on the record for that. I, I was a, as I'm a nerd that was bullied as a kid. So I understand bullying. And if you're in a position like they are, in many cases, you have an issue with a bully out there and you're going to be pretty cautious about what you say because you don't want to be the next person that's the target of a bully. That's my point. That's why I was happy to support President-elect Biden. Let's get this guy out of office and get it back where people actually respect one another and treat people with civility. Tell us about your own relationship with Trump, because he's he's gone after you, clearly, and but you overlapped with him while you were governor, right? So you must have met, you guys must have talked. What was it like? Yeah, we, we never have had a what I would describe as a real positive relationship, because again, if you look at that context, I believe in being a positive person. So even these comments are hard for me to give because I don't like being negative on anyone. I, I, I like to spend my time looking for the good in people, but in his case, he, I would make an exception. The way I viewed it in many cases is he didn't understand a lot of the issues that were going on in Michigan. So I just sort of did my own thing. And I didn't worry about if he was taking credit for it. For example, he liked to talk about Michigan's great comeback. Well, that's fine. We did make Michigan come back and uh, we had it going. The comeback was well underway before he ever became president. And if you want to take credit, that's fine. I tried to work with him because we were fellow public servants. He was at the federal level, I was at the state level. So I didn't go out of my way to generate conflict because if I could help Michigan by getting him on board to do something for Michigan, that would be good. Well, speaking of bullying, the current governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, has experienced a fair amount of bullying from Donald Trump. He famously called her that woman and uh, has called on people to rise up against her. And Scott Atlas, I think, just, just recently did that, the coronavirus advisor. Have you spoken to Governor Whitmer during this period? And uh, how do you think she's handled this situation with, uh, with Trump? 
Well, again, it's a big challenge. What I would say, and I've been very careful about this, either on the positive or the negative, I really don't do commentary on Governor Whitmer because I view it as I'm the last governor. So old governors, uh, the more recent governor, you, you should just bide your peace on the upside or the downside and just respect the fact she's got a tough job. And what happened though with the, the plot and all that was a terrible thing. That's horrific. And Donald Trump helped encourage behavior like that. So I do condemn that kind of behavior. You mentioned before that Republicans actually did well in Michigan during the election, aside from yeah. President Trump. Yeah, they kept the majority in the state house, which many people didn't think that was going to happen. Um, and they had good candidates doing good things, and they had strong showings in other races. I think nationally, if you look at it, Republicans did fairly well. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is if there was a, a sort of deliberate fraud in Michigan to rob Donald Trump of votes and give them to Joe Biden— does it make sense that this fraudulent conspiracy would have let the Republicans maintain control of the state legislature? No, that's one of the common sense things that I view as a benchmark when you look at this kind of question is there was no real fraud because these people were really dumb if they would have been doing something. If you're going to do it, you should do it across the board. And so, again, you get conflicting results. So there was no fraud. If you looked at it. there's no evidence to show that. And again, that's not for us to spend time speculating. And that's the negative side of him doing all the speculation. If you got an issue, it should be in a court of law. And people should present evidence, and it should be adjudicated, and a decision should be made. Governor, you mentioned the State Board of Canvassers before. And on Monday, that board will vote to certify this election. I think it's just four of them. Again, it's two Republicans and two Democrats, as I understand it. There has been some speculation that the— uh, that the Republicans might not vote to certify. If that were to happen, I understand that the governor could essentially fire anybody who votes against certification and put in her own person. It, would you favor that if, say, one or two of the Republicans voted against certification? Well, there, there's more than one course of action. The normal one, because this has happened before on petition drives and other issues, this is not a, a unique question when there's a 2-2 split. Traditionally, it, it goes to a court. And the court basically issues an order telling people to do what they shall do or must do, because it's not a, a discretionary vote if you know this is presented. And if you look at the certifications by all the counties, it's better than it was in 2016. So this board of canvassers at the state shall certify is the way it's sort of outlined. The normal course coming out of that, if someone for some reason would not be appropriate. It would not be right. And there are sanctions that have taken place against people that have done that in the past. And then a court would simply order it to go forward. Just to be clear on this, because clearly the play seems to be to get the legislature to intervene and award the electors to President Trump rather than Joe Biden, uh, even though Biden won the state by 150,000 votes. So just under Michigan state law, can the legislature do that? Number one, politically, do you think there is any scenario by which your the members of your party in the state legislature would do that? And, you know, if by some chance they did, what would your reaction be? 
Well, what I'd say is uh, there is no legal authority, to my knowledge, that would allow them to change the answer. It is by statute that it goes to the Board of Canvassers and the elector process that is in place following the popular vote is the law of the state of Michigan. They would have to enact The law it. says that the, that the electors yes. should go to the winner of the popular vote. Yes, and there is no exception to that. There's nothing else. Their only course of action would be to try to pass a new statute, which the governor would not sign. So legally, I don't believe there's anything they can do to come up with a different answer. So there's no play. For There's no play. The Again, people are speculating on, on scenarios beyond any legal answer. That's speculation. But the law does not provide for anything other than having the electors that went through the popular vote process to show up. And I actually was presiding officer at the session four years ago. So I know how this works. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I suppose the argument uh, would be that the Constitution says the legislator, legislatures should pick the electors. And, you know, so therefore the argument would be the Constitution trumps state law. No, I don't think that's I think the legislature had the power to pass a law to define the process. And if they want to change it, they have to pass a new law. Right. So more broadly, just taking a step back, because clearly you are among a number of Republicans who have broken from the Trump party that the Republican Party has become. What is the future for your brand of Republicanism? Who can you know be the spokesman for the views that you hold now and try to bring the Republican Party back to where you think it should be? Well, I think there are a lot of currently elected officials that are good people, governors, other representatives, senators, representatives at both the state and federal level that have similar views. I think they've remained quiet because we have a bully in the White House. I hope with him leaving office, there's going to be much more openness about that. I don't, I'm not naive enough to know it's going to switch like a light bulb. It's not, because he has a large base that is still going to continue to be a challenge out there. I think the right thing is, is we need to have a President Biden working in a bipartisan fashion with Republicans that are moderate, that are thoughtful, that are good conservatives, finding answers to better our country and showing how we can solve problems together. The best answer we can do is to show how we can solve some serious issues in our country, everything from COVID, the health issue, to the economic issue, to infrastructure, to education. There's a whole series of issues out there that I think people can find common ground. And by showing real positive results, I think that's what will start changing the tone and tenor in our country. And that's what I hope. What about in, in your state, in Michigan? Because you know Joe Biden won by 150,000 votes, but it wasn't a full-scale repudiation of Donald Trump. He still did quite well in the state of Michigan. So what do you think is going to happen there? And do you see any hope that the kind of polarization that uh, we've all we've seen across the country could dissipate in a state like Michigan? I think it can, and I think it needs to. This is important. I, a couple of years before I left office, I started talking about the lack of civility in our country, and I said the greatest threat in our country is us and this issue that we're facing today that's only become worse. And I think the right answer is, is we need some bipartisan successes. And people don't look to those. I mean, when I was governor, 
if you looked at most of the votes we had on major issues, we had the controversial ones, but many, many, over 80 to 90% of all our actions were, had a supermajority of both parties in the legislature. So it is possible to work together and to get things done. The other one I would encourage both President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris to do is to get out and go to the small towns, to get out to middle America, to go out and visit places where people didn't vote for them and let people see the human side of them. I think they need to make a road trip and get out to the places, not, for the pe not to the places where people voted for them, but where people didn't vote for them. Because again, once you get to know people and you humanize things, that really helps a lot too. So you have mentioned a number of times the need for bipartisanship. You are a Republican who endorsed Joe Biden. Have you spoken to the Biden folks at all? And if they asked you to serve in some capacity, would you be up for doing it? And, you know, I should add, have they? Uh, I haven't spoken to anyone in the campaign, period. Okay. Uh, anyone in the transition. I'm just a proud Republican making a point as an American first. This needs to change. And that's what I hope would happen is, is you know, we need to start by showing we can cross this bridge because we are Americans first. And so my intention, if you look at my history, is I was in the private sector most of my life. So I said two years running, and if I was lucky, eight years as governor. So I spent a decade doing public service. I, it was a great honor. It was a privilege. We did a lot of great things. And now I'm off to new things. Last question for me. How surprised are you that you endorsed a Democratic presidential contender. And do you think you there's any real chance you would have done this had Donald Trump not been president? Um, what I would say is uh, it's likely I would have endorsed a Republican. If you looked at a lot of the other people running, I knew a lot of those folk. And there were some really good people that ran for office. If you go back to 2016, it was amazing how he came through. I mean, that's something where people should not underestimate Donald Trump and actually the the support he gains and the trouble he can cause. So that's why I don't view this as a light switch kind of reversion as we go back. But I would have likely supported one of those people because there are some excellent people and I know some excellent people out there today. But you felt you had no choice because? Well, again, because four years later, he's a bully. Yeah. He's never stood for all of America in his views. He's been representing the people that voted for him. That's not a good leader. When I was governor of Michigan, I, I went out of my way. I helped turn around Detroit. I put him through bankruptcy. Those folks didn't vote for me, but I view I had an obligation to serve them well and serve them right because they deserve better. That's what you need in a leader, not someone just representing the people that voted for him. Last question for me. Did you happen to watch Rudy Giuliani's press conference yesterday? Uh, fortunately, I only saw there? excerpts because I, I don't know how I could have stood to watch the whole thing. <laughs> I was going to say, from what you saw and what you've read, uh, what's what are your thoughts? Well, it's embarrassing. And again, it's embarrassing to them, but it's embarrassing to our nation. I mean, that's the whole thing. And it's destructive to our nation. That's where people can talk about it. But I hope a lot of us as Americans step back and look at this whole thing and say, what does the rest of the world think of us? And more objectively, what do we think of ourselves when we, behave, when we see behavior like this at the highest levels or people that represent people at the highest levels? We can't be proud of this. 
and we need to get to a better answer. And again, if you go back to it, and I give President-elect Biden a lot of credit, listen to what he's been talking about. He's been talking about healing, about bringing people back together. Man, is it overdue. And I'm all for it. All right. Well, on that note, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, we don't uh, often get Republicans quite as outspoken as uh, on these matters as you are. So we really appreciate you sharing your time and your thoughts. No, it's great to be with you. Okay, we now have with us Doug High, a longtime Republican consultant, operative, former communications director for the Republican National Committee. Doug, welcome to Skullduggery. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So there has been quite a uh, controversy about the failure of Republican members of Congress to speak out about the president's refusal to accept the results of the election. You praised Mitt Romney on Twitter for saying there's no excuse for the president's stance at this point and that he's 100 percent right. Tell us what prompted you to um, write that on Twitter and and why do you think so few Republicans in Congress are following in Mitt Romney's footsteps? Yeah, well, one, I did because I thought he was 100 percent right. And that's a message that I'm not surprised that he made, but would like to see from others. And we're starting to see a few others say similar things or walking up closer to that line. It's still not enough. Ultimately, I think it's because we're seeing that in the Republican Party, at least up to this point, nothing has changed. And you know what, what we saw with Republicans before is we would typically see them kind of run to the right in the primaries, then more to the middle for general elections, by and large, not universally. In the Trump era, we thought that meant, well, once you're past the primary, given that conservatism doesn't really mean what it used to, and I honestly don't know what it means these days as far as how we define it, that, okay, well, now that you've won your primary, you're okay for the general. You can be a bit more yourself. You can be a bit more honest. Um, and the reality is that just isn't true. And now that we're post-election, we thought, aha, okay, well, now, especially with Trump losing, we're going to see Republicans you know, dump him into the water like it's the Boston Tea Party. And that still is not true because the reality is still the truth of, is still constant, that this is Donald Trump's party and that you cross him at your own peril and that he isn't going anywhere. And not only is he not going anywhere, but the well, apparatus- but, but Doug, he is going somewhere. He's leaving the White House on January sure. 20. But that doesn't mean that we're not ever going to stop talking about Donald Trump. It doesn't mean that he's not going to have some form of a well-financed political organization. And, and I think one of the things that we lose sight of in this election was because he lost, and let's be clear, he lost and he clearly lost, but that he overperformed to what he did last time. You know, there was a surge for, of Trump voters. And that's also something that Republicans are reacting to. And he's going to have a well-financed organization, whatever that may be, coming after this. Three quarters of the money that's raised in every donation to, you know, the, how, however we want to term it, the Save the Trump Presidency Fund, goes to a political action committee that has nothing to do with recounts or anything like that. It is how how ethical is that in the political world to raise money you claim is for your defense, but in fact, you're using it for another purpose? Well, it's both unethical and, and clear. You know, it is, it is in writing. We know what they're doing. 
and you don't have to be a brain surgeon to figure that out. I'd love to tell you that political fundraising by either party is always on the up and up. It's just <laughs> not. And one of the things I dealt with- I think we can agree on that. And it comes yeah. up every 10 years is the RNC sends a fund fundraising letter that looks an awful lot like a census form. And um, you know they dealt with it again this time. The Democrats go crazy on Republicans for it. I don't think they're completely wrong on it. And look, every, every fundraising email, text, tweet, or hard mail, which is still very effective in fundraising, gins up your base, it works people up, and doesn't really present a, to use a Fox term, a fair and balanced approach on things. It's not designed to. So, Doug, I get that a lot of these Republican members, they fear that they will be primaried. But so what you're describing is a, you know, is a clash between principle and political expediency, calculations that politicians, you know, have to make all the time. I mean, are you surprised in any way that so many Republicans have chosen political survival? What makes you think that uh, this, or I guess you don't think this is going to ever really change? I mean, does anything, is, will the fever ever be broken here in terms of how Republican office holders deal with, with Trump until he's literally gone from the, from the scene? Well, you know, as, as I sort of referenced earlier, we'll see more kind of walk up to that line as more certifications happen, as, as the electoral college votes and things like that, where, okay, procedurally, Donald Trump, yeah, you lost. And then there'll be some whispers, but we know he really didn't, even though obviously he did. And this comes from, you know, what we've seen now over four years, that the Republicans who walked away from Donald Trump the day after the Access Hollywood tape faced tough primary challenges. Martha Roby in Alabama, who I thought was a great, hardworking member of Congress, barely survived a primary challenge, and now she's retiring. So she won't be in the next Congress. And Republicans have felt a sort of a damned if you do, worse if you don't situation on coming out against Trump on any issue, especially that that was a Trump specific issue. So you can be critical of him on issues that were larger than Trump. Look at Marco Rubio was very critical on Trump with say China. But when you talk about the wall or things like that, immigration, that's a Trump specific issue. Russia, it's a Trump specific issue uh, that you're not allowed to. And so look, we, a lot of people thought once we got past the election that we'd see members kind of dump Trump overboard, but that would have only happened if Trump had won the states that he won, or excuse me, Biden won the states that he won by more, maybe flipped North Carolina as well, won the eight to 10 congressional seats for Democrats that we thought he would, won the Senate. That would be a much different calculus for, for Republican members and senators to make than the one that they're making now. If they've gained nine seats that we know of right now in the House. It's a very different conversation than what we thought was going to happen two or three days before the election. So a couple of things. First, we have the uh, Georgia runoffs coming up January 5th. And obviously, the stakes for those couldn't be higher, uh, control of the Senate. How does this standoff, if that's what it is, you know, Trump's refusal to accept reality that he lost the election, how does that affect the Georgia races? Because I could argue it both ways. It, um, Republicans don't want to cross Trump because they need Trump to go campaign for uh, Loeffler and Purdue. On the other hand, his stand seems so outrageous that surely there are some voters in Georgia who are going to be turned off by it. Oh, they're gonna, a lot of voters will be turned off by it. But look, the reality is we're dealing with 
a runoff election. This is not going to be, it may be a high turnout runoff, but it will not be a high turnout election. So if we thought that this was about maximizing your base on election day, this is much more so about that. So if you cross your base, you're done in any runoff. And, you know, so that's one reason I think, I think that's a challenge for Purdue and, and Leffler. The whole situation is a challenge for them because we have Republican infighting, right? They're attacking their Republican Secretary of State, which is not helpful. And your best argument, I would say two things further. Your best argument in running in the runoff as a, as a Republican right now is that you're going to be a check and balance on the Biden administration. But you can't say that right now because you can't concede the reality that there will be one. It also, I think, hurts, hurts the Republican candidates. And let me stress, I still believe the fundamentals of the runoff should favor both of them. Um, but it also hurts them because which is a better argument? Every vote counts and we need to work hard for every single vote that we can get, which is the Democratic argument in the runoff. Or, yeah, every vote should count, but we're probably going to get uh, cheated out of it anyways, which is the larger Republican argument that's happening throughout the country right now. It's not good. And none of that is good for the Republicans. What is uh, what does Kemp do? Uh, the governor of uh, Georgia, Republican, does he certify the results? I don't know what he does. It's, he should do that. But what he what will he actually do? Uh, I just don't think we know. You know, and this is this is where the aspect of seeing, you know, we've seen these now members from uh, the state house of Michigan be called. We know that may happen in Pennsylvania. It's very easy to see Donald Trump call the president or excuse me, the governor of, of Georgia and say, come to the White House. We must have a non-political, of course, meeting, which will be very political. These are troubling things that are going to happen. But what the end result will be, we don't know. That then makes the Supreme Court much more important than it was in uh, just 20 years ago. So you refer to these things that are happening, like what's happening in Michigan right now, as we record this, Trump is meeting with these Republican legislators as troubling. A lot of people say it's a sideshow and Joe Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. But what impact do you think all of this has ultimately? How damaging is it for the Republican Party? How damaging is it um, for American democracy? Yeah, I would, I would first say calling it troubling and a sideshow are not mutually exclusive. Okay. Um, it is troubling and it is a sideshow. And it's why I didn't, I didn't watch the, the Rudy press conference yesterday, which is, you know, at the RNC. I used to put press conferences together in that same room and I didn't watch it on purpose. You know, the best way you can reject this is to turn your TV off sometimes. Doesn't mean I didn't see it because <laughs> it was everywhere. I did see, by the way, that you suggested on Twitter that Republican staffers, RNC staffers who were there, would own this if they didn't. You seem to be suggesting that they should resign. Yeah, look, I, you know, I left uh, the RNC um, rather strategically. And when I left, um, I announced my departure on New Year's Day of um, 2011, which was timed for the RNC chair election two weeks later. And that was my, I'm out of here. And thank you, everybody. And that was my, you know, ultimately my departure was my statement. If you're in the comm shop right now and you're still there, you know, if you're still there on Monday, this is your legacy. And it's just not what you want your legacy to be unless you just want to wear the red hat for the rest of your life. But what is what is the legacy of this for the country? You know, this is where we get into, I think, really troubling stuff is the message that we have traditionally sent to the world um, about how America does elections, about the peaceful transfer of power about the rule of law, which is not necessarily the same thing as law and order. Um, we are sending very clear messages to our allies and to our adversaries. 
and it's the same message that's being interpreted very differently. Um, the UK and France and Germany, you know, for instance, will view this very differently than China and Russia. And if you're China, you're looking at this and saying, we can do whatever we want in Hong Kong and there are no repercussions. If you're Viktor Oban in Hungary, you can say, I can do whatever I want and there are no repercussions. And so what this means for democracy in, uh, throughout the world is really troubling. Regardless of what the end result will be, which I think we all expect will be at noon on uh, January 20th that Biden becomes president. Doug, you were the communications director for the Republican Party in Washington. How dispiriting has it been to see your party become hostage to Donald Trump? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm reminded of the, of the clip in Blazing Saddles where Cleveland Little pulls a gun on himself and holds himself hostage. And I think to some extent, that's what we've done is we've so willingly accepted everything that we've said that we would reject, you know, from character matters, which was, you know, the big mantra against Bill Clinton in, in 1992, to big spending and big debts and big deficits, which in the 2012 Republican convention, we had a running clock of the Obama debt. You know, it's, it, it's very troubling. And it's been a kind of rolling succession of, you know, it's, it, we joke and call it a dumpster fire, but it's much more serious than that. You know, the challenge for me is, uh, how does the Republican Party come back and into some kind of recognizable form of what it used to be? It's never going to be what it was before. We're changed. And frankly, Democrats are changed as well. They've learned from Trump. They've learned lessons from Trump. They're adapting to Trump as well. You know, and I just, I don't have the firm answers on that. I'm reminded yeah. of the Bruce Springsteen song. It's going to be a long walk home. It's going to take us well, a long time. Well, I, I was just about to ask you that question. What is the path back to some semblance of, of normalcy for the Republican Party? I know you don't have the answers, but do you have any thoughts about what would be the right thing to do? Sure. Well, I, I think it, it starts with, you know, who really, you know, how does 2024 play itself out in the Republican primaries? You're going to have a lot of people running for the Trump mantle, but how exactly do they run for the Trump mantle? Who emerges? What do they end up really embracing um, on this? And then, and then what happens? Do they win? Do they lose? Is that an affirmation of that? Is it a rejection of that? But you know, that's where I think it just remains to be seen. It's, it's a very big question mark. Do you still consider yourself a Republican? I, I absolutely do. Um, you know, a bit of an ostracized one sometimes these days. Uh, I voted for Mitt Romney on election day as a write-in. I was under no illusion that he would win, but I wanted to vote for somebody who I thought was a principled conservative. And I, 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 there have been conversations I've had with friends who are Republicans who voted for Biden. And, you know, whether or not you're really allowed into the conversation after that. And they're not concerned about it. I get it. They think I'm crazy. I get it. But ultimately, we'll, we'll have to see. We just don't know. Who on the horizon in the Republican Party can represent people like you? I, I don't have that answer. Is there anybody? <laughs> I don't have that answer. I don't know. I mean, because if you don't have, I mean, because if there isn't somebody who represents your wing, if that's, if, if it's, if it's big enough to be a wing of anti-Trump Republicans, and if there's nobody uh, in Congress or on the national scene, you know, giving voice to the issues and concerns you have, I, it's hard for me to see how you stay a Republican. 
Well, I, look, that's that to me is is what the battle and the, and the argument is is for over the next um, four years and beyond. Okay, I got one last quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Blazing Saddles, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> On yeah. Thursday at his press conference, mentioned uh, the movie My Cousin Vinny, which a lot of people laughed a lot about, not about the movie, but about Giuliani <laughs> acting it out. I gather that you had not watched My C- Cousin Vinny, and then I saw on Twitter that you actually were not that impressed with it. So I had to give so you- So I had never seen it. I just, I was working a Senate campaign that summer, and there were a lot of movies I missed then. We didn't have, you don't have a life as a, uh, as a political staffer during campaign times. So I watched it last night. I thought Marissa Tomei was amazing. Joe Pesci does what Joe Pesci does, so it was the same role as Easy Money. What about the judge? What about what about uh, Fred? I can't remember his name. Herman, Herman, yeah, Herman was, Munster. Was, Herman Munster was fine. <laughs> Ralph Macchio, uh, unfortunately, only got like three lines. <laughs> what can you do? Okay. But I watched it. Okay. I watched it. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, that's uh, a better show than the than the Trump show, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate you coming on and, and talking to us about this. And, Happy to. Uh, we look forward to having you again. Great. Thanks so All much. All right, Doug.